It's a Spherical Podcast, Friday edition. We are joining you from the Concrete Coliseum in the Ridgewood section of Queens, New York. And we are doing so in stereo, hopefully. A lot happening uh, since New York City FC officially ended its 2016 season. We recorded this episode on Wednesday evening. Uh, Myself sat down... My my name's Sam Dunn, by the way. I should probably mention that. Managing editor of HudsonRiverBlue.com sat down with another one of our team members, Mr. Calvin Daniel, to discuss a little bit of a pivot towards the off-season for New York City FC. We'll touch on various appropriate topics, the expansion draft coming up that will concern Atlanta United and Minnesota United. Really creative names, guys, by the way. Uh, Joining MLS, we'll have a chance to make some expansion picks. We'll talk about that. We'll talk about uh, a couple of season recap type things. Frank Lampard walking away. He is not officially retired, but he is is done at New York City FC. Sounds like more of the team's decision than, than strictly his. They do want to get younger. Now, two other things happened that concern the team and also the team getting younger that uh, happened between the recording of our podcast and now. And that was one Thursday, Mr. Andoni Iraola announced his retirement from the game of soccer after 16 years. A legend at Athletic Bilbao over in La Liga. He was the captain of that team for quite a while. He played for them at the senior level for just over a dozen years, um, but had joined their academy as early as 1999. And of course, about a year and a half service with New York City FC. We thank Andoni for his service. He's one of those hard hat type guys, an extremely calming influence. And you might be able to find a like-for-like replacement for a guy like that that's got some versatility, it's got some some durability. Um, But you're not going to find a like-for-like replacement for that temperament. That was the rare thing about Andoni Areola. And we'll have more to say about him. I want to do a video tribute to uh, to Andoni as well. We'll try to have that for you early next week. Another thing that we heard Friday morning, this morning, was the retirement from the game by Mr. Mehdi Bellucci as well, an inaugural member of New York City FC. Three goals and two assists. Some really nice goals, too, scored by Mehdi Bellucci, especially in the earlier parts of last year. It was a fantastic curler against Philadelphia at home that he scored in a game that didn't go the way maybe New York City fans wanted it to go. But a guy that he's got his place. One of my favorite factoids that will always be true, and this will never, no one can ever take this away from, from Mehdi or from us. Mehdi Bellucci was named NYCFC's official player of the month before David Villa ever received that honor. It was the third month of the team's existence, May of 2015, that, uh, that Mehdi Bellucci was, was awarded the official honor of the, the team's player of the month. David Villa did not secure that honor, I don't believe, until the following month. So that's that's something something fascinating and fantastic right there. Anyway, I hope you enjoyed the podcast. Be sure to subscribe to the Spherical Podcast on iTunes. You can also find us on Stitcher Radio. All the files all the time on our SoundCloud page, soundcloud.com slash spherical, H-R-B. Find us on Twitter at 
This is Spherical. Anyway, folks, enjoy the weekend. MLS playoffs popping off. Just do your civic duty. Keep listening to that Tribe Called Quest album. Please, just keep keep spinning it. You see, they did uh, they did Space Program on, on SNL. It was interesting. It was the first track on that album, but it was the second song that they performed on SNL. That's a choice. It's a slight choice, but it, it's interesting that they did that because it, it gives it a... a it reframes the, the, type of, the type of weight that it carries. Rest in peace, Fife Dog. Anyway, enjoy the podcast, and we will talk to you soon. some time to gather our thoughts what's what's the feeling on your end what when you think about new york city fc right here right now what are you what are you thinking about well now that we have some distance between that awful awful sunday night um i'm able to think more of it think more about it in the entirety of the season and i have to say i feel pretty good about the team I feel good about his prospects uh, heading into uh, 2017. Um, you know, all I can say really is, you know, when we do things, we do them big. When we win, we win big. When we lose, we lose spectacularly. You're right? damn right. <laughs> I'm. I think I, I look at these things in a. I, I try to let the the sobriety take hold as quickly as it possibly can, because I don't think, uh, and this just, this isn't just unique to sports, but, uh, when things go bad, you know, like seven nil on aggregate bad, the first feeling is to engage in all of the various recriminations about, well, if only we had done this instead of that, maybe we wouldn't be in this position. If only, uh, we had given Johansson a chance before the last game of the regular season. If only we had not been as conservative about uh, using Lampard in the in the first leg. And that stuff can tie you up in knots. I much prefer being able to take that step back. And, and I really do in, insist on using the word sobriety in terms of how we uh, reckon with what has happened and, and what we think needs to happen in the future. So I kind of, I am feeling pretty good right now because in the long view, I don't think anybody really expected that this team could finish second in the East this year, that they would finish ahead of not just uh, Toronto or a team like that, but even like who, who would have assumed that Columbus, the defending Eastern Conference champ, wouldn't make the playoffs and that they'd be the team that, that is feeling some some turmoil of it. This, you're almost playing with house money where the team is now. So I think the stock is trending steadily upward. And uh, as much as I like watching live soccer, I'm kind of excited about the off season too. Yeah, well, you know, 
Off-season moves, that helps us over at Hudson River Blue very much. There's a lot of things we can post and ruminate and get conversation going on. So that that's all good for the for the company line, right? Absolutely. But I, I agree with you. Um, I think uh, sobriety, that's a good term. Um, and, you know, and there's all kinds of could've, should'ves. Me personally, I, I don't even dabble in those things because I, I just think we got, we got beat, flat-out beat. Toronto had a game plan. They had the guys to execute that game plan, and, and they just took us to town, man. Michael Bradley had two games like we haven't seen Michael Bradley have in a long time. He was the box-to-box midfielder to end all box-to-box midfielders in both of those games. I mean, Mendoza, Harrison, Shelton, anyone who tried to go 1v1, Bradley just came and snuffed it out so quickly. I was just in shock, really. Where was that Bradley in the World Cup in Brazil, I wonder? No clue, but... (laughs) We'll never know. (laughs) I mean, one thing I will say, the fact that Toronto had Josie in such immaculate form and Javinko back to full fitness, you can have the luxury of telling Bradley hey just patrol their offense and don't let them do anything we have all the playmaking up front and Bradley was able to sit deep snuff out passes read out guys that maybe needed a second defender to come in and he did it and he was able to just let you know Javinko Altador you know Osorio let those guys be the ones that try to create stuff, and he didn't have that burden on his shoulders, and I think that made a big difference. There was such a clear understanding of what everybody's job was on the Toronto side. It was utterly coherent, and their opposite numbers were in sky blue. It was anything but that. Uh, yeah. the, the plan the plan overall for how Patrick Vieira wants New York City to to play, to build up, we we know basically what that is. We didn't really see very much of that in what to this point were the two most important games in the history of the team. So while Toronto took full advantage of the disarray, the incoherence, I, I see that as more of an aberration because the next time around, and not just the next time that, that New York City is in the playoffs, but even looking ahead to next year in the regular season, I think just that uh, that sense of cohesion and that sense of 11 guys playing as a unit is going to be much more fully realized almost by default. You talk about the difference between this past year and 2015 – it was night and day in terms of style, in terms of the way that the team could win. Uh, it almost felt like luck of the draw in that inaugural season where, gosh, like it, it's nice if Ned Grabovoy scores a brace, but that's not really a strategy. <laughs> it's like we're going to wait around for, yeah. for Ned to score or for Poku to, to just take guys on. Everybody's bouncing off of him like he's Maurice Jones-Drew, and then he just bangs one. You yeah. can't spend your time waiting around for that and I feel like we're just about all the way past that in New York City land but what's missing and I I, want to talk about the departure of and presumably the retirement of Frank Lampard in terms of this 
what this team is missing is a guy like Giovinco that if everybody else behind him is doing their job and sticking to the game plan, he can put the whole team on his shoulders and absolutely take over a game. Even David Villa can't do those things. He needs he can he can produce individual brilliance, but it's just not the same um, as what Giovinco can do. I mean, we're talking about a guy who scored two hat tricks against New York City already. Yeah. If we're looking at you know what to do with that designated player spot that's being vacated now by Frank Lampard, announcing this week that he's that he's leaving. His contract is up and he's leaving. What do you um, think? What do you think uh, is the best way to seize this opportunity? And it, it's it's easy to speculate about individual players, but what is the kind of guy that you think would be the perfect piece for that that puzzle? Now that there's a DP spot free. Right. Well, you know, first and foremost, uh, you know, let me put my cape on for Via real quick. And uh, I'll just say if Villa was perhaps at the point in his career that Javinko is now, maybe he could be that that same level, maybe even better oh, yeah. than Javinko is now. Absolutely. So uh, that, that's a good point to keep in mind, too, when we talk about Villa. I mean, at this age, at 33, 34, it's a lot to ask of him. But um, you, you bring up a good point with Lampard leaving, um, you know, for all of the exultation and maybe exuberance a lot of fans have that that DP spot is open, it's going to be very critical with who they decide to go with to fill that spot for 2017. And um, there was a lot of talk about this on Twitter. Uh, I engaged in a couple of uh, replies on it. Me personally, I would think that this team is going to either look for a, a striker, like maybe someone to play up top with Villa or to play centrally and let Villa move more to the left wing or maybe a Ladero-Valeri type of number 10 playmaker that can fit into that midfield three. That's what I think. And it remains to be seen. The way I look at it is you can't replace Lampard without thinking about how to make up all of those goals that he scored. Definitely. The second best goal scorer in terms of quantity, in terms of consistency in this young history of the team. What I'm wondering is, do you just go and get uh, another forward that can play up the middle, like, like you mentioned, or is it possible that you can get a more purely creative number 10 type because this team has never had a pure number 10 yet no. in its existence and then maybe use the money that's freed up by the inevitable departure of Mix, mm. uh, Mix. and then use that allocation money to pay down a sort of DP light and have that guy be your your next subsequent goal scorer um I think between those two picks, you talk about the DP spot and then the DP light spot that Mix has taken up to this point. It's got to be a guy, a guy who can score goals and a guy who can be creative coming up the middle. What I'm not sure about is if Tommy McNamara can be the full-time number 10 for this team. He's certainly got ability, but mm. this is New York City FC. Like, I don't even... I don't look at this team like I look at any other MLS team except maybe LA. That it's it's not just about a proper division of labor. You've got to make a little bit of a splash with the guys sure. that you're you're bringing in as well. I mean, it that shouldn't be prioritized above ability. 
I think they just, in this inaugural first couple of years of the team, they clearly went for the biggest names that they could get, and I don't think you should, as a as a, a team, you should regret that at all. I mean, what an amazing thing in, in, for a brand new team to have Via Pirlo and, and Lampard, but mm-hmm. uh, it really does have to be that. You have to get a number 10 playmaker type, because it looks like Pirlo will continue to be around. He's got another year on his contract. And then you need to have that secondary goal score. It's tough yeah. because MLS, when they bring guys over, they're almost always on free transfers because when you're paying a transfer fee, that counts against your salary cap number in almost every case. There are some isolated incidents where the league itself does what it occasionally does and produces magical money out of the air and mm-hmm. <laughs> and uses that to help pay a transfer fee if they see a sure. yeah a player that they really want. But it really does have to be that because you're talking about in Lampard, a guy that contributed a lot of goals. Yeah, they definitely have to find a replacement for all those goals. I think um, just in terms of you know continuing their growth and and production in the club, you will get more goals from like your Jack Harrisons, your Kyrie Sheltons. Those guys, I think, as they keep continuing with the club, they keep continuing under Vieira's tutelage, I think you'll see more and more good things from them. But, you know, to expect one of them to just slot in, or even both of them together to make up that scoring load would be unrealistic. And I love Tommy Mack. You know, he's been a, a very good player for this team, especially this season. But, uh, you know, as the season wore on and as, you know, Harrison, Shelton, Mendoza, they started finding their groove in in the lineup, you kind of started to realize that as much of a folk hero Tommy Mack is, he is just kind of a guy amongst other guys in in those scoring attacking options you have and maybe not necessarily somebody you can build an attack through or expect to be this, like, you know, wonderkin, you know, magic number 10 guy that can always pull it, you know, out of nowhere for you. And uh, not for nothing, Tommy Mac does kind of get bossed around against those more physical teams too. So we would need somebody that can be in all weather, all different types of opposition playmaker. And as good as Tommy Mac is, I don't think he's that. And... It's not necessarily a bad thing that he started to see fewer minutes when both Shelton and Mendoza uh, really started to turn it on in August, September. And in terms of a guy like Mendoza, who formed a very effective platoon out wide with Shelton, it was one subbing on for the other for most of the last portion of the season. If you look at someone like Steven Mendoza... He makes a little over $300,000 a year on his current contract with Corinthians. If you're New York City, if you're sitting in Claudio Reyna's chair, Calvin, how much are, what are you thinking about in terms of Mendoza? Are you going to, are you trying to uh, sign him? Are you trying to see if his loan can be renewed for another year? How do you see him uh, in any, uh, fitting in with this team's future, perhaps? Yeah, Mendoza's a tough one because, you know, while he did um, finally kind of find his place in the team in the second half of the season, um, and he, he was definitely a useful player to say 
they should definitely bring him on permanently. I think that's a tough question because you're going to ask the club, you know, if you're Claudio Reyna, you're going to ask him to commit a considerable considerable amount of money to what, as you said, was a platoon player. You know, and I don't. I think if you're investing that kind of money, you would want Mendoza to be more of a guy where you say, no, he is week in, week out, the left or right winger, and that is because he's so good we can't take him out. Essentially, if you're spending that type of money, he should be what Jack Harrison became in the second half of the season. You know what I mean? I I see your reasoning there, and for me... it. It's unfortunate, but it really is, if I'm making this decision hypothetically, it really does for me come down to that cap number. Yeah. Paying paying someone that kind of money to sit on the bench, and let's keep in mind, Mix <laughs> made more than twice that to not even be on the team sheet. I mean, yeah, in, comp- in comparison, we definitely... You definitely get more bang for your buck with Mendoza than you will mix. Right, but that's like an unfair comparison for for multiple parties involved. Mm-hmm. And it's it's difficult to it almost feels crass to be like, well, we would keep him, but not at that price. The wild card is though that the one team in the entire world that that adores and wants Steven Mendoza the most is Chennaian over in the India Super League. And their season started uh, about, a, I want to say, about a month ago. And so he's already missed out on that. He's not going back there. And he doesn't seem to have a future at Corinthians in Brazil because they're, I mean, in, in South America, they're a powerhouse. They probably have a dozen Steven Mendozas either uh, on the way up or in their academy system or already out on loan elsewhere. So I wonder, you know, if he's if he doesn't have a future at New York City FC and I would bet that he probably doesn't where does he end up because we've seen the the pure athleticism we've seen how he's got he he's got these flashes of technical ability whether it was the Golazo at home against Chicago or the fact that he can uh, drag one across the ground to the far post and and outsmart keepers uh, he's he's sometimes over relies on that athleticism, but the guy's got a lot to offer. So there's a part of you, even if it's a pragmatic decision to let him go, that will perhaps miss uh, some of what he was able to provide. And you hope that Kyrie Shelton is let, ready to be a a week in week out player on on one edge of the of a, a front three. Yeah, um, that that's a very good point too. And the one of one of the other things that's tricky with Mendoza is. When he did find his his niche, and when he did start, you know, finding that range to start putting some goals in the back of the net, be a lot more threatening. It wasn't even on the wing. It was when he was playing more centrally. When he started playing those games, filling in for Lampard when he was out, right. playing in that middle three, and then when they did put him in the front three, you you kept seeing this kind of like carousel of shakeup with the front three, like Harrison would go from left to right, Villa would go from central to left, and then Mendoza would switch from like left to central. And then in that central channel is where he was the most dangerous. And I think that's, for in MLS anyway, I think that is where he kind of finds himself the most comfortable, you know, against the opposition. He, he, he wasn't really someone that was picking out passes or whipping in crosses from the wing. Uh, he's kind of one of those guys that he's very good at 
looking for his own shot at goal, but maybe not for his teammates. And that seems more of a guy you would put centrally as well. That is true about the fact that the guy uh, is not uh, is not a crosser. He does pinch in, and I one thing that I really appreciate about him is that certainly by the end of the year, opponents had a scouting report on the guy, and they knew his tendencies. They knew you know his heat map or whatever it is. Even expecting and anticipating that he's going to pinch his way inside, he was still burning by people in yeah. a, in a a league that's way more about athleticism than technical ability like MLS. Uh, I I really appreciated a lot of those performances where he would just he would he would show you something and maybe this is the wrong way to describe it, but <laughs> there was no mistaking that Stephen Mendoza is not American, and I mean that <laughs> as a as as an absolute compliment. Uh, to him and the way that he came up um, as a as a young player, um, and I guess that's kind of like a challenge to to the way that we we treat young talent in America. It's like this guy is lost in the shuffle at Corinthians, but he can do things that, and and you can say the same thing about Jack Harrison as well. He can do things that you know the folks that we have coming up. I mean, yeah, maybe Pulisic can do some of these things as well, but. But That's there's this it. there's this chasm, yeah. I mean, there's this chasm in terms of this this ethereal technical quality that you don't see all the time. But when you see the little flashes of it, it's like you got to do a double take. Um, yeah. There's another I, lone player that I want to ask you about, Calvin. That I I don't know where well, I stand on on this. Before but, we get to him, yes, before we yes. Get to him, I have a crazy idea. While we're still on the front three, you know, hear me out. Okay. Take it or leave it. You know, there's my Ron Burgundy pitch. Take it or leave it. Uh, (laughs) You don't want it? Send it right back. (laughs) Yeah, send it right back. Uh, (laughs) So, Mendoza, as we just said, he seems like he would be best served, you know, in that central channel in the front three. But that's also where Villa plays. We also know Villa is getting, you know, a little further along in his career. And um, he does... It is a lot to ask him to bang and and shove and and fight and claw with these you know towering center backs week in and week out. And at the same time, we do know he has a ton of technical ability, has a nose for goal, but also has a nose for a good pass. Would it be so crazy to drop Via in to a number ten type of role and move Mendoza up as that central striker in the front three? If we are speaking in hypotheticals, and I love hypotheticals. That that is not inconceivable because no matter where you line up via, we've seen specifically over the course of his time with New York City that he will track back as far as he needs to track back to gather the ball if the mm-hmm. service isn't there, if the opposition is being particularly punchy or aggressive on the ball. He's... And I don't want to compare David Villa to Wayne Rooney because Wayne Rooney, I feel like his career is like over, and and Villa at the age of uh, what whatever he is thirty four is is still killing it. But yeah. there's some guys where even if they are ostensibly your center forward or something like it, they're going to go back and get the ball no matter what if if they feel like that's their duty. Um, if the right things aren't happening behind them, it's. I don't know if it's disappointing that we haven't seen that combo that you just described for for very much time at all this year. Certainly, Via is selfless. Nobody is is more ruggedly and unquestionably committed to the team uh, than he is. I don't think that's out of the question, but as long as we're dreaming, 
if we're going to talk about Villa not being the lone center forward, which he didn't really start doing that until he came to New York City. He's right. always been, you know, he's playing with Messi or he's playing on the the Spanish uh, national team with all of these uh, insane talents. Why not just go get a guy who's about to be out of contract by the name of Fernando Torres and then Villa can drift wherever he wants? That that's the name. Uh, he he's he, he's been in the back of my head like this whole conversation, because um, he has been linked. He has been linked to New York City FC before, um, whether uh, erroneously or not. And it's not like you know, City Football Group doesn't have the connections and the cash to you know entice him. And he, you know, Via can get in Torres's ear. I mean, there's a lot of ways that they, that could happen. And it's not to be underestimated. The Via is such a respected guy. As far as I know, he he doesn't have any. To say that he doesn't have any enemies is an understatement. He's a he's a sweet person. He's a family man. You know, he went on fucking Sesame Street. Like this is not artifice. <laughs> the man is incredibly down to earth. You know, he's and he's totally. an insane competitor. I mean, and we saw the stories earlier this fall about him talking to Andres Iniesta about how great mm-hmm. New York is and how we would love to play with him again. Iniesta's contract uh, goes through 2018, but Torres's contract is up this summer. It would seem to be the, the perfect kind of player that you would want. Still in his prime, at the end of his prime athletically, I think he's 32. Um, yeah, he's, he's either slightly younger or around the same age as Villa. Yeah, yeah. I, I believe he's 32, but we can't underestimate uh, the Spain connection, the fact that they're proven as teammates for club and country, and the idea that, uh, um, or specifically for the Spanish national team, I should say. I don't want to. I don't want to. Um, I don't want to say the wrong thing. But it's. It, we know that those guys can can operate together on the biggest stages. So the idea yeah. that they wouldn't be able to slice and dice anybody up in MLS we know how that would turn out it would be a feeding frenzy and they would each in their own particular way serve to extend the career of the other I mean we've we've yeah. never had not only have we never had a true number 10 playmaker on this team we've never had a true target striker and that's what Torres gives you and via but you didn't like Adam Nemich <laughs> I wanted to <laughs> I wanted to so bad, but like, I mean, what what else did I want to like? I wanted to like Jay Z Kingdom Come, and I just couldn't do it. Right. I mean, yeah. <laughs> so I mean, Nemich was probably the one guy I felt made Saunders look like Messi with the ball at his feet. <laughs> it was clear what they were trying to do with Nemich, and it, it just didn't happen. And it was it was such a a drag because. When he would play for the Slovakia national team, he gets goals. Yeah, even against like, we're talking about UEFA. Like he wasn't just scoring against the Faroe Islands. No disrespect to the Faroe Islands, they're actually uh, they're actually known pound for pound as one of the most feverish soccer nations that there is. It just happens that their entire population is like a hundred thousand. But yeah, there's so much. Have- it would it would just stand to logic, even free of any context. If you've never had a, a true target number nine striker and you've never had a true number ten playmaker, wouldn't wouldn't that be something to pursue? And I would be surprised if they weren't pursuing those two exact things. 
Yeah, and, uh, and, I'm pretty and functionally sure that frees up Via. Via can name his price, and he can he, he can say to Vieira, "It's like you know what? I would love to take up this space and that space." Right. He'll figure out how to do it. I mean, he's he's one of the smartest players I've ever watched in my life. Um, and and the fact that Torres is about to be out of contract with this this summer, it's just, I'm I'm licking my lips, man. Yeah, I mean that would be very interesting. Um, the one the one drawback in that scenario is. Um, we would have to go first half of the season without a DP. And we saw how hard that was in 2015 when Villa was like the sole DP and the team kind of struggled. So I wonder if uh, having to wait that long would uh, be, a, be a hindrance to the club. But under Vieira, with Lampard missing most of the first half, they seem to still do okay. So maybe that wouldn't be such a problem. I wonder, though, what if... Uh... It, what if it's one of those situations where the deal sounds so good and and Torres is so excited that he would be con- conceivably willing to, uh, and this would have to be by mutual consent with his club, mm-hmm. just tear up the contract in, in the winter transfer window. Um, right. And if you're talking about the big dogs of La Liga, there's plenty of guys you can go get. And and I'm just dreaming right now. I'm not I'm not speaking logically at all. That w- that would be not an implausible scenario still an unlikely one um that you can just go you can go get a guy and and have him be ready for the start of the year he would need to rest up a little bit and get his uh get his bearings but there there are a handful of players that you would be willing to wait for and i think that's uh, a prototypical example of one because if you're going to go get anybody from europe even the ones who are about to be out of contract there is that that problem with waiting to the summer and then they're they're basically out of gas when they show up. God forbid it's a situation like Pirlo where he's also playing in the Champions League final. Um, yeah, yeah. But, yeah, so the, on, the, the only other option is, you know, go get somebody from a league that plays on a slightly different schedule. And I know right. David Lee and his scouting operation um, has done well for itself in terms of identifying Ronald Matarita, in terms of figuring out who the hell R.J. Allen was uh, in terms of all of the little things that they've done to help uh, contour this team in this way and that way. But, but uh, and, and of course, I want to remind the listeners, we are just dreaming right now, but uh, this is New York City FC, and that's, that's, it's appropriate for us to do that. Um, yeah. Because the last thing I want us to do is sign Bastian Schweinsteiger. I think Chicago should go ahead and do that if they want. It would continue to discredit themselves. Um. <laughs> yeah, I, I don't, I don't see Schweinsteiger coming over, especially when part of the reason the club decided to move on and not re-sign Lampard is because they wanted to go in a younger direction. Uh, signing Schweinsteiger just goes in the complete opposite of that of that narrative. And that's why Manchester United needs to buy the Chicago franchise and turn them turn them into Chicago United. Um, oh goodness. <laughs> Well, I mean, yeah, think about the, which franchise in in recent memory has benefited more from the fact that there's no relegation. I mean, I feel true, bad for those true. fans. I'm I don't, I'm I'm dissing them, but I feel bad for those fans. I feel bad for that stadium boondoggle where they they said it would pay for itself, just like everybody says. And then the the folks out in Bridgeview are are you know the taxpayers had to shoulder all of it. They can't get anybody to go to the games. Um, the other guy I was thinking of that I'm not sure about um, in terms of the future, but he makes only about a third of the wages that Mendoza does, is Federico Bravo, mm-hmm. who 
distinguished himself and played relatively quite a few minutes maybe in the first half of the year and then when Vieira made what was I think uh, a minor stroke of genius in sliding Andoni Araola into the number six midfield position he started to fade do you see Bravo as having a future with this team or is his time up I actually think there is a role for Bravo on this club Um, I know when he first came in um, from uh, is it, it was Boca's Junior, I believe, Junior's, right? Yeah, yeah. He had he came in as a player who had spent time both as a number six and as a center back, and um, in preseason he kind of doubled in those roles too. But um, during the season we didn't really get to we didn't really see him play center back much. It was pretty much strictly in the midfield we saw him play. But me personally, I think it would not be a bad idea to bring Bravo back permanently or on a second loan stint and put him in central defense and see if he can be a a more suitable pairing with Maxime Cheneau. Because first and foremost, we have to figure out this central defense issue. You know, Brilliant, Hernandez, Mena, you know, I don't want to say Cheneau yet because I don't think he's played enough games for us to say he was clearly a problem and I've seen a lot of positives when Cheneau is on the field but he has to get we have to get a better partner for Cheneau to see if we have something that can stick It's tempting in this small sample size that we've seen from Cheneau to think that alright this is our guy where have you been all my life you could do all the things that we need you to do um it's unfortunate that we only got to see as much as we saw from him. I don't even think he played 10 games with the team because no. he got the herniated disc. It, it, it was Exactly. But as a ball player in fitting in with Vieira's style and as a guy where if later in a game we're going to a back three, playing on the outside of a back three, a guy who if he's really pressing forward can, can even... Uh, send in a cross or two if he really has to. That matters a lot. You you need to have these Swiss Army Knife type guys in MLS because of all the spending restrictions. But you're right to say that we've got to figure out something at center back. And I, I wondered if you would look at Bravo that way because, like you said, that was something that we were told when he came in that he had experience at that position. We mostly didn't see that this year. He would occasionally, at the base of the midfield, drop back and support the back line. Mm-hmm. So he can do that, but I, the only thing that makes me wonder if it's a, really is a, a good idea to bring him back is because I think his wages are only like 120000 Right. I don't know, what we don't know is what Boca sees in him in, in terms of uh, a future. He's still a pretty young guy. He doesn't have a lot of vision, but he's got plenty of toughness. He's got toughness to spare. Um, He's somebody that I think, compared to Mendoza, if we're talking about the lone players, and and Shannon Gomez, who knows, because he makes no money, but he got hurt. Um, Right. A guy like Bravo, you're not risking a whole lot bringing him back, even if he doesn't play all that much. You're talking about, you know, Jason Hernandez makes twice as much as that. Uh, I mean... Mm -hmm. Bravo probably makes about the same as uh, as Saunders, probably not only a little bit more than than Jelton makes, and so you're not 
you're not taking on a ton of risk by bringing him back, and it depends. I mean, how? What do you think you can get out of a 35-year-old Andoni Raiola playing um, in a more physically demanding position in terms of you know what the opposition is going to do to you uh, coming up the middle? Um, I think he's kind of Raiola was one of the main unsung heroes of the entire team this year, just in terms of his utter selflessness and his, you know, he, he didn't complain about a thing. He just kept his head down and did his job. But I, yeah. I kind of like the idea of bringing back Bravo. If especially um, he would seem to figure at center back, certainly we never saw him in a, in a center back pairing with Chano. That's, that's kind of a wild card. Yeah, I I think if you're bringing him back, I think it has to be with with that thought in mind. Um, he he can play midfield, and but at, like like you said, uh, he doesn't really have much in terms of vision. Um, whenever he was in the lineup, you knew the team was was thinking defense first, especially if if, if he and Mikey Lopez were both in the midfield. Um, you know, and a lot of his qualities, which ended up getting him a lot of yellow cards, like being aggressive, trying to snuff out, um, you know, passes and go, come from behind and tackle. Those things will get you yellow cards in the midfield, but you'll have a better line of sight to do those things more effectively from central defense. So maybe his strong suits are better suited at center back. But at the same time, if he's not a starter with this club, you would have somebody that can be that um, Swiss Army knife, as you were talking about, we should know, that you can bring him in for midfield or you can bring him into central defense. Um, in midfield, I would see him more as a substitution, more than a starter. But in terms of, you know, as a center back, I think that could be someone or should be someone that could be in line to compete for that for one of those uh, center back spots next season. That's something that we'll definitely be watching with some some curiosity because if there's anything that we've learned about Vieira is that he is certainly not afraid to try some shit. I mean, they're throw no, the no. textbook out the window. He's he's going to write his own textbook one day with a foreword written by uh, Pep Guardiola. <laughs> looking at looking ahead to the expansion draft, Calvin, we got uh, Atlanta United, Minnesota United coming in. It's amazing that there's only two more Uniteds coming into the league. I figured there'd be a hundred more because there's this unwritten rule in American soccer that you can't call uh, a team anything but uh, United or City now. Um, I made I made my little mental list of guys that I would protect in the expansion draft, and we got some clarification about how that strategy should go, of the 11 guys that ought to be protected for the expansion draft. Uh, with the departure of Lampard and with the confirmation that Jack Harrison would still be considered a generation Adidas player next year. So uh, he would be exempt as well. So I made my little list. And there's a, there's, I wanted to ask you, uh, if, if, if I'm leaving somebody unprotected that you think we ought to protect. And so my, my protected guys were the, the, the two remaining DPs, for one. I can't imagine any team, any expansion team, making such a dick move as to swipe one of our DPs. But, I mean, you, you got to do your, your due diligence. You, so, I, I was under the impression you can't select a DP in the expansion draft. There are restrictions about um, international players, but designated players are not automatically protected. Oh, interesting. Yeah, they are, they are not. But, of course, 
any team that takes them, if they're still under contract, it's like, you better be prepared to pay them all this money and, and not everybody Yeah, exactly. Is. So we got Via and Pirlo. Mm-hmm. The next guy after that, for me, has got to be Matarita. Mm-hmm. So that's three. And then, in no particular order, I want Shelton, McNamara, Shano, Iraola. I'm I'm going to protect Johansson because he's a city guy. We may, depending on what happens, he may be sent on loan. He may be the backup. He may be the starter. We don't know. Mm-hmm. I'm going to protect Briant because I I want to give him a chance. Um, and then it gets a little more difficult. I for my last pick, it's like, do I pick? Uh, am I being unfair to Diego Martinez? Do is Jason Hernandez as a guy from the five boroughs, even at thirty three years old, somebody that needs to be protected? Does Vieira believe in Jefferson Mena? I protected Mikey Lopez. Wow. So we got Via Pirlo, and then R.J. Allen is another one. So that's my eleven. Okay. Via Pirlo, Allen, Briant, Cheno, Areola, Johansson, Lopez, Matarita, Tommy Mack, Kyrie Shelton. Would you be yeah. more interested in protecting somebody like Tony Taylor or somebody like uh, Hernandez or Diego Martinez instead of one of those guys? The only guy that I would be interested in protecting that you left off is Tony Taylor. Explain. Well, like we were talking about, we need as many attacking options as possible. So that's that's one reason to protect him. Um, he's also a guy, I think, even though he's not a young person, he's in his mid-20s, in ter- and that's not young in terms of professional athletes, he's still someone that I would that I would say is still in the early part of his development curve. I don't think he's really become who he's going to be yet. And he, you know, he kind of surprised me in some ways when he, you know, he came out as the starting winger, and he actually was wasn't too bad. And when he came feeling, when he started, you know, working his way back into the eighteen and uh, getting some some minutes as as a late late minute uh, target forward, he he shows some quality. And um, you know, the Panamanian national team seeing something in him. So you know, we have that as well. This this guy's uh, becoming an international player. So uh, I I think for those reasons, I think I would be interested in protecting him than over maybe someone like Briant or Lopez. But that was the only guy. And it's hard for me to to leave someone like Taylor on the outside looking in. Of course, he was a guy that New York City selected in its expansion draft. I think his rights were owned by New England at that time. Yeah. The... I'm going to disagree with you about something in that you, you said we don't we don't necessarily know entirely what he's going to be yet. And that's, from one perspective, that is a fair determination because he spent so much time before he ended up in MLS um, all over the world. I mean, he played for Estoril in Portugal. He played in, in the... In the league in in Cyprus, I don't know how the hell he figured that. Out. I want to know who his agent was at the time. Who was like, "Hey, Tony, we got you a deal in fucking Cyprus." <laughs> <laughs> it must have been beautiful. I have this image of him like eating like like uh, like figs and, and grapes and olives like on the beach. Which I mean, it sounds amazing, but it is my feeling that 
we know enough about Tony Taylor, and I believe he's 26, that I don't know if there's a reasonable expectation that he's going to get substantially better than what we've seen from him to this point. And obviously, there are plenty of guys that you might protect for an expansion draft, one reason or another, that that don't necessarily have more upside coming down the pike, but in terms of and, and he doesn't his wages aren't that high. I, I think he makes somewhere around like ninety ninety K or something like that. So if you do keep him around free of context, it's not a big financial hit. But I would rather err on the side of um in terms of uh, an attacking oriented player, somebody who is still improving and is still, um, if not developing, then just becoming more consistent. I just don't personally see him as a guy that's going to be able to show us much of anything that he hasn't shown us already. And he scored a couple goals. Uh, he's Both games he scored in were games that New York City won. Uh, I think that matters. And he's very sure-footed with the ball. He doesn't have super athleticism. Uh, but he, I think he makes pretty pragmatic decisions with the ball at his feet. He doesn't take a lot of empty touches. Uh, I just don't think he has that extra little special something that would justify me putting him on my list. That's fair. You bring up good points. I mean, you know, he's 27 already. Um, he may just end up, he may just be who he's going to be at this point. Um, you know, the, that, that was just the only one I was really thinking of. Um, I, I'm kind of out on Briant already. Uh, I know I might be too soon on that, but I just I just feel like he has had too many instances on defense or with the ball at his feet where he makes panic decisions and they never work out for the club. That's that's a very legitimate observation for me. And his wages aren't super low either. I think he makes around three hundred k as well. No, he was a Tam. He was a Tam signing. Yeah, they mistaken. had to pay him down, and that matters. The way I look at it, uh, I try to defer to the experts as much as possible on these kinds of things because, like, what the fuck do I know? But Vieira really seems to believe in the guy, despite his insistence on playing a certain way. What we haven't seen is a whole lot of minutes of him playing with Johansson. What we haven't seen is a whole lot of minutes playing with his boy, Chano. They were teammates in the Belgian League for a while at yeah, shot. That's true. I would err on the side of that just because it, it seems that Vieira looks at Brian as, as one of his guys. And there's, <clears throat> there might not always seem to be a rhyme or reason as, as to the guys that Vieira really favors. But there is... Even if we don't know what the method to the madness is, there is a method. I mean, Vieira is incredibly deliberate. Um, if he's trying some shit, it might seem like a, a wild experiment to observers like us, but he knows exactly why he's doing it and what he's looking for it in 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 the the most specific of ways. Um, so I'm, and the most important thing here is, hey, just because a guy is unprotected doesn't doesn't mean that he's going to get picked. I mean. Yeah. Um I can't I can't see anybody <laughs> anybody say uh like Atlanta or or Minnesota picking up Mix, who we will certainly not protect unless there's this understanding that they can pay him substantially less than he made in the New York City shirt. Um Yeah. But that's the the magic of the off season. It's like we get to play GM, we get to we get to, you know, uh 
play mix and match with all these things and to say the very least there's a lot to look forward to no matter how you no matter where you land on the uh on the MLS spectrum, whether you're a, a morbid outside observer who loves criticizing the league or whether you have a, a team that you ride or die with, uh, there's a lot to look forward to. And I just, uh, I can't wait. I love, I love when I get, you know, the, the, uh, the press release email saying that we signed a new player. I, I, I love seeing the name of a guy I've never heard of before and being like, Oh my God, what's his estimated market value on transfer marked? Who does, who the hell is he? Are there any YouTube videos uh, of this yeah. guy doing anything in the last three years. We're getting back to that time of the year, and I, it's uh, it's like MLS Christmas. I'm excited, man. No, yeah, this is a very exciting time of year. I'm, I'm like, just like you, even if it's just a rumor, I'm like, all right, transfer market, whoscored.com, YouTube, you know, hit me with everything I need to know about this guy. It's, it's fun stuff, that's for sure. And I have had some fun kicking the ball around with you this evening, Calvin, as we do. Uh, before we sign off for the evening, though, anything else on your mind? You got any wild theories, any wild predictions, whether for New York City or, say, for the the rest of the MLS playoffs? Uh, anything else you're ruminating on right now? Uh, well, I don't know about you. I don't, you know, I'm still uh, just uh, thinking about the whole Lampard era, as brief as it was, and, and just... You know, how, how do I feel about it as a fan? You know, I, I feel like I'm very uh, in the middle. Uh, you know, I would say I'm, I'm, I'm kind of Lampard neutral. You know, I was uh, frustrated when he wasn't producing, but I was very happy to have him on a team when he was. Uh, and at the end of the day, it was 29 games, and I don't think I can remember the last time you know, so much was spoken about a guy who played 29 games. There is something to be said for that, and I would say, on balance, I started I started covering New York City FC for Hudson River Blue back when we were a WordPress site, and SB Nation w- were still laying the groundwork for us to have the permanent, beautiful page that we have now. Mm-hmm. Um, and... So I, while not I, while I didn't found the site, our our main man Rafael Naboe Rivera will go down in history as the man who who birthed birthed this thing out of pure cosmic energy. But as somebody who has been, as of basically this week, covering the team for two years now, uh, I haven't had more amusement, more fun or gone through more emotions covering any player on this team than Frank Lampard. I've he's he's brought work and productivity out of me as a as a media guy that at times I didn't know I was capable of for better or for worse by the way. Um, <laughs> he's made me say things and and I shouldn't act like it's his fault. I mean, I make my own choices, but he's made me say things in various moments, whether it's on social media or whether it's with my headlines or my decks or any jokes or pot shots that I'm making that I I maybe couldn't have imagined. And, and looking back, almost don't understand what it was that brought me to make these kinds of determinations and, and emotionally. But 
the fact that somebody, like you said, only in only 29 games could send us through such a gamut of emotions to score the first hat trick in team history. David Villa still never done that. Um, on Which is balance. unbelievable. Well, yeah. Yeah. I, I will always be, I think, mystified by the impact that Lampard was able, able to have not just while he was here, but even while he wasn't here. And that just speaks to how how gigantic his footprint is on the game. And the fact that we got to have the kind of coda of his career in this experiment that is New York City FC um, is really special to me. And the book hasn't been written yet, but eventually there will be, be a book written about you know just the, the Lampard affair. It burned hot and it burned bright. Every no, there wasn't anybody who followed this team who didn't have a strong opinion about the guy at at some time. And I, right. uh, and uh, I guess uh, to quote Tribe Called Quest, Frank, we got it from here. Thank you for your service. Nice. Yeah, I agree. Uh, well said. And you know, I haven't been much of a hot take person, especially with Lampard. A lot of other things, but. The one thing I do feel I have to, you know, kind of put out there is I do feel like we were kind of uh, teased or tantalized and and not really able to enjoy the full experience. You know, Uh, he was the first ever signing for the club. um, And then, you know, when you see what he was, when you see the imprint he was able to have on a young player like Jack Harrison, and when you see the offensive output he could have, like you love it, but you're like, man, I wish I had this from you know opening game in Orlando City last year. You know what I mean? And then when you see how we were even just talking about how Via could potentially get Torres to come over, we already know he's been talking to Iniesta to come play for New York City FC from day one. He was, you know, in De- in December, right after he signed, or January, you know, he was posting Instagram pictures in the city, enjoying the snow, talking about how he loved it, posting pictures with his family in the city in their new apartment. Been an ab- ambassador for this club from day one. I really wish we were able to get that that part of it from Frank Lampard, if at all, or at least more than we got. Um, you know, it would have been nice to see. You know, Lampard was was talking to you know uh, Ashley Cole or you know Rooney or these guys in England, like talking to them to come over and play here. You know, maybe talking to you know Fabregas or guys who might not be in the picture like they want to be on Chelsea to come play for New York City FC. That would have been amazing. But alas, we didn't get that from the Frank Lampard experience. We got a bunch of goals. We got a bunch of frustration. And in the end, you just felt like you you could have gotten more out of the experience. And maybe that's what helps to give his whole situation, his whole tenure here, a bit of a romantic and mysterious quality. We'll be, we'll be reckoning with this and thinking about what could have been long after the guy is, is retired and starting to go gray and getting, getting into friendly arguments with Gary Lineker on Sky Sports or whatever it is that he ends up doing. Uh, It's, it's going to be hard in the, um, at least in the now to really square with that. But, 
the fact that we only got that little teasing glimpse of him, uh, it's for for one, it's going to help propel us through this off season. But but two, it, it means that he's not gone from our minds or from our hearts anytime soon. He's he's still kind of going to be with us and, and present because um, you know the next DP we sign. Assuming that it's some kind of attacking-oriented player, I think it has to be, whether as a scorer or a playmaker, we're going to be comparing this guy to Frank Lampard, it, it, not just on the field. We're going to talk about, you know, well, uh, what, how are this guy's jersey sales going to be? Like, like that really matters, but, but still. Or uh, in terms of taking Jack Harrison under his wing, it's like, what is this guy going to do uh, in terms of being a leader or being a mentor? Uh, we're going to measure up... Um, and not just the next guy we sign in this DB spot, but the one who succeeds him. We're going to compare him to Frank Lampard in all likelihood. It's and true. I like that since Frank, even though he showed up late, basically still got in on the ground floor with this team. Uh, his his presence will always be there in, in some way, uh, no matter what. And uh, I like that because it means we'll continue to wrestle with it. We'll we'll continue to try to figure what his legacy is going to be. We'll have trouble pinning it down, uh, and it should be that way. And and he did that to us, and uh, I I got to thank him for that. Yeah, it's good points. Uh, I agree. Uh, more than anything else, we can't take the fact away that you know he was the club's first ever DP, and for better or for worse, uh, that's his imprint on the team. And at least we can speak at this point where it's the end of his tenure with the club that we did get something out of him we did get some very good production at certain points of that tenure which is a lot more than a lot of teams can say about some of their dp signings you know uh so as much as people like to jest and make fun of lampard and the club the fact is he's while he's not the greatest dp signing ever he is probably on the above average half of when it comes to more productive dp signings and i think that's that's the that's the most positive thing you can take away from it um but now as he leaves we also get reminded that our our true leader and talisman on this club is david via and he looks to continue to do that for a couple more years and thank goodness he's such a gamer. Uh, thank goodness he is the most singularly committed guy we've ever seen wear the badge for this team. And I can't wait to see the rapport that he strikes up with uh, whoever inherits that spot from Lampard. Calvin, this has been great. I think we put in a solid shift this evening. Uh, looking forward to reconvening on the Spherical Podcast again. Hopefully we'll have some news to report, whether it's about new guys coming to New York or the expansion draft or whatever other hijinks might fall into our lap uh, news-wise in the coming weeks. But uh, until then, man, uh, thanks so much once again, and we'll look forward to talking to you again soon. You got it. It was good talking to you too, Sam. All right, man. Take care. All right.